We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church Podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to this message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. Luke chapter 15, and we begin in verse 11. We're going to begin in verse 11. But before we go there, last week we kicked off a series called The Blessed Life Reloaded. Every few years we do this series called The Blessed Life because I think it's important for us to understand that God invites all of his people to be a part of the blessed life. How many people in here want to live a blessed life? I don't know anyone who says, I, I want to live a broken life. I don't, want, I don't know anybody who says, I want to live a dysfunctional life. Most people want to live a blessed life. They may be broken and dysfunctional, but even in that state, they say, I want to live the blessed life. And so we want to encounter this series. And so this, 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 this year, we're, we're calling it Reloaded because we're repackaging it, reformatting it, visiting some different texts that we usually, than we usually uh, meet. But this series is all about equipping you to receive the blessing that God wants to release over your life. I believe that God has commanded a blessing for his people. Anyone who calls themselves part of the kingdom of God, which means you follow Jesus, you believe that he is the son of God, you believe that he was incarnated, uh, born in human flesh, uh, lived a life just like you and I, went to the cross, died for yours and my sins, and resurrected on the third day. When we believe that and trust that Jesus died for our sins, that we can encounter the blessed life. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And there's a couple of verses we went over last week that I want to share with you. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 says this. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you will not have room enough to take it in. How many of us want a blessing that we don't have room to take it in? Like God pouring out the windows of heaven and pouring out such a blessing that we have no room to contain it. Like we're just walking around fully blessed and people like, dude, what is up with your life, man? I'm just blessed. I can't contain it. I don't even know what to do with it. That's the type of blessing that God wants to give us. He says, try it. Put me to the test. You know, I love God. I love the God of heaven and earth, the creator God. The only God who exists. Hello, somebody. Our God, unlike any other character of God that anyone else wants to worship or believe in, our God is not a God who just says, follow me or I'll kill you. He says, try me, put me to the test and guarantee you will want to follow me. You will see the goodness and the grace that that I have for you. He says, try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, meaning what you put your hands to, your work will be fruitful. Your business will be blessed. Your your children will be blessed. Your, Your encounters will be blessed. Your crops will be blessed, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Anything that will try to come and take away from what God is blessing you with, he will guard it. That's the type of God we serve. Somebody said, thank you. Amen. It goes on, it says, your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe. Means that you won't lose out on the blessings that are supposed to come your way. See, a lot of times we get scared when people come against us, whether it's at work or on the job or or at school and say, this person is hindering me moving forward. Can I tell you, the God of heaven and earth tells you your grapes will not fall. Nothing that's supposed to come to you will be lost. You will get it in due time. Y'all ain't hearing me. Y'all, there's like three people in here who's hearing this. He says, says the Lord of heaven's armies, that all nations. Everyone who encounters you, everyone who sees you will call you blessed. For your land will be such a delight, says the lords of heaven's armies. He says, when people look at you, they will just wonder what in the world is going on in your life. That you are so blessed. That you are so fruitful. 
that you're so joyous. Yesterday, we were watching this uh, documentary after Regroup. If you're not a part of Regroup, there's still time. We still got a couple of weeks left for this semester. Join and plug into a Regroup. Regroup are where church begins. Side note, if you don't know about what Regroup is, just go ahead and circle on your connection card, Regroup, or Get Connected, or something, whatever it says on there. We'll get you plugged in. But after Regroup, uh, our Regroup team was at the house, and we were just kind of watching YouTube, and we encountered this uh, video that says, Denmark and Finland are the happiest nations in the world. Denmark and Finland are the happiest nation in the earth. And scripture going back to uh, Malachi 3.10 at verse 12, go back to where it says, for your grapes will not fall from. He says, your land will be such a delight. People look at Denmark and Finland and want to move out there because they have such great things happening there. They're such happy people. And this is what this text is saying. Individuals will look at your life. I don't know about you, whether it was a grandparent, Sarah. Maybe it was a friend, Lucas. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was an uncle, aunt, who you just looked at and just like, man, their life is blessed. They're always in a state of joy. They're always in a state of peace. Like, things don't bother them like most people get bothered by. Like, that's what God is trying to bring us to. And then it goes on, another text, Joel 2, chapter 23, talking about the blessed life. It says, be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. What he's talking about here, he's talking about people who were oppressed, people who were depressed, people who were down and out. And he says, listen, God has given you the early rain means refreshing has come to your life. And I don't know about you, if you're carrying a burden or load or or debt or whatever it is, God says, listen, there is early rain coming for your vindication. He has poured down abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. He says, listen, I want to come alongside of you and help you walk into a life of fruitfulness. It says this in the next verse. It says the threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with, with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper and the destroyer and the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. He says, yes, for a season I had to let you walk in some pain. I had to let you walk because you were out of line. But guess what? Just like I took away from you, I'm going to bring back to you everything that was coming your way. How many of us believe that we serve a God who gives and takes away? But the beauty about it, he always restores to his children. I was reading in scripture as part of my Bible reading plan how God had allowed his children to go through rough times and rough areas. And then at the end of the chapter, it always says, then I'll restore to you. Then I will always call you back. Then I will bless you again. And I think uh, uh, Joel 2.23, let's go back to that verse. Y'all keep running away on me. Um, And the next verse says, you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. How many of us want that life? That we never again will be put to shame to shame. No matter what they said about you, no matter what they made up about you, doesn't matter if it was somebody in school 40 years ago, doesn't matter if it was somebody 10 days ago, no matter what they said, nothing can take you away from the love of God. They will never be able to put you to shame in God's eyes. You will be blessed. You will be honored. And that's what living the blessed life is about. But how do we get to the blessed life? How do we get to the blessed life? In Luke chapter 15, we're there now. There is a text, a familiar text. It's the prodigal son. It's the story of the prodigal son. If you grew up around church, you've heard the story of the prodigal son. Let me read through it, and then we're going to dive and unpack. This is part two of last week. This is actually a continuation. We left a cliffhanger last week. Q was mad at me. Q cornered me after service. He was like, I need you to tell me what the third one was. Tell me the third one. 
uh, what was it, Tara? Tara's homesick. Everybody pray for Tara. She's not feeling well. I don't think she's here today. Uh, Tara, last week, she says, PM, you can't do that to us. You got to give us the last part of the message. Well, you're going to get it today. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32. If you want to read along with me, it says this. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and took a journey to the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. Everybody says a famine arose. Because whenever you're living outside of God's will, a famine will arise. Just want to let you know right there. That wasn't even in my notes. And he began to be in need. Verse 15 says this. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Contextually, Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience. Jewish audiences would have looked at this and says, oh, my gosh, he was so low in his life that he subjected himself to go feed pigs. Jews did not want anything to do with pigs. They didn't eat pigs. They didn't go around pigs. If you encountered a pig on your way home, you would have to go into a ritual cleansing. So Jesus says this guy is so down and out that he has gotten so far away from the will of God that he's put he's subjected himself to the worst possible place in life and he was longing to be fed with the paws the pigs ate and no one gave him anything but when he came to himself he said how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread but I perish here with hunger I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him father I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son treat me as one of your hired servants and he arose and came to his father He goes back home because he says, man, even my dad's servants eat better than I do. Even my dad's servants have more than I do right now. But I love this text. Right here, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. They celebrated because a son who was so far gone, I don't know about you guys, but you may have a child who seems so far gone, who seems so far outside of the will of God. You may have a cousin, you may have a brother, you may have a sibling, you may even have a parent who is walking outside of the will of God. Can I tell you, no one is so far gone that the father will not run and embrace him in his mess and bring him home. And he says now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. And he called out one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. He begged him. He tried to convince him. He he tried to comfort him and say, son, your, your brother was dead. He's now alive. Your brother was gone. He's back here. His brother, his father entreats him. And he says, look, these many years, I've served you. And I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, this idiot, this dumb, this messed up, this drug addicted, this money spending son of yours who has devoured your property with prostitutes. Can you believe that, Dad? He used your money to solicit prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him? You threw a party for this guy? And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive, and he was lost and is found. Let's pray. God, 
I pray that you will speak to us through this word. God, speak to us in the only way you can. Open our hearts, open up our minds to hear your word today loud and clear. Lord, so that we too can encounter and experience the blessed life that you've called out for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, I shared that many of us have a distorted view of money and wealth. A lot of times this this text talks, uh, we teach on this text about the prodigal sons and daughters returning home. We, we, we teach this text about how we need to go and seek the loss, about how God goes for the one. And he returns him home and how we need to have the heart of the father. And that is all true. That is definitely a part of this text. But I believe that this text also teaches us something about encountering the blessed life. I think that this this text also teaches us a lot about money and wealth and understanding its correlation to our relationship with the Lord. And as we talked about last week, Jesus talked about money a lot. Jesus talked about money a lot. In fact, 11 out of the 39 parables that Jesus taught on was about money. It was about money and dealt with wealth and stewardship. One out of every seven of those verses, of those parables, talked about money and talked about wealth. And he's always having us encounter money and wealth. And we're trying to discern, okay, God, what are you trying to tell us? Jesus, what what point are you trying to make? Now, let me tell you this. Money was not the most important thing to Jesus, so don't get uncomfortable right now. Money was not the most important thing to Jesus, but Jesus was trying to teach that money and wealth are a kingdom principle and not a cultural construct. A lot of time we think that money has a lot to do with just culture, but Jesus is trying to tell us money, wealth, resources, stewardship is a kingdom principle. And so that's why he utilized money and wealth talking about uh, the facts of life and how to encounter the Lord and how to have a relationship with the Lord and how to have a relationship with the people around us. But people don't like talking about money in church. Some of you guys heard me start saying money and wealth already. You started getting a little uncomfortable. Started shifting your position. People don't like talking about money in church. But you know what I've come to discover? People don't like talking about money. It's not because they think the church wants their money. I think that is, that's a made-up lie. People say that all the time. Well, I don't like the church talking about money because the church always wants my money. That's not true. That's not true. I don't think that's really what they're saying. Uh, One thing that you need to, uh, that we learn in communication is you've got to not only listen to the words, but hear what's underneath the words. When my wife comes and says something to me and she says, "Um, babe, uh, do you have to work today? She's unconcerned about the work that I have to do. What she's really saying is I want to spend time with you. When when my wife says, hey, listen, um, can you help me with the dishes? I've come to the conclusion that my wife doesn't really want to help with the dishes. My wife just wants me to be around her. When, when my wife says, we need to talk, Lord Jesus indeed, <laughs> she ain't about to just talk. She's going to deliver something that I need to pay attention to, that I need to listen to her heart. And so I believe that when people say, I, I believe the church talks too much about money because the church wants my money, I think we need to go under and beneath and see through what they're actually saying. I think it's because people are saying, I don't understand the true value of money. Oh, yeah, I didn't think I was going to say that. I don't truly understand the true value of money and wealth and kingdom principles. So when the pastor talks about it, it makes me very uncomfortable because I can't correlate and put two and two together very well. Y'all follow me. Let me tell you this. Money is talked about everywhere. Everywhere you go in life, you talk about money. At home, you talk about money. 
In families, you talk about money. At school, they talk about money. You know how many times the school is fundraising about something? Always asking for something. Don't my taxes pay for anything? Jeez. Money's talked about everywhere. I remember being a part of a, 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 a group called Toastmasters. Anybody ever heard of Toastmasters? Toastmasters is an opportunity for you to learn how to communicate better. Uh, Toastmasters is for those who want to be verbal communicators and people to learn how to speak well and, and, and grow their communication gift. And I remember when I signed up for Toastmasters, they made me take a pledge, y'all, in front of the rest of the people in Toastmasters with my hand on my heart talking about I will pledge to give dues to this organization. I wonder what would happen if at starting point we made you put your hand on your heart and one hand on the Bible and say, I will pledge to tithe and give generously to relevant church. How many people would stick around? But there's hundreds and thousands of people in Toastmasters who willingly talk about money and say, I pledge, I promise to continue to give to this organization. See, people aren't afraid of money. They just don't understand how money can be a kingdom principle. So we understand that money can be talked about everywhere else, but when it comes to the church, we can't correlate because we don't understand the true value of money. Sports. Sports. Ask for your money all the time. All the time. Anybody who's had kids who played Little League or played school sports understand that sports cost money. The cleats, the gloves, the helmet, the, 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 uh, the, the, the glove. Mitt, thank you. <laughs> somebody, somebody knew what I was trying to say. Sometimes the uniforms, and then they're doing fundraisers for something. It's always about money. In order for your kid to play in this league, you're going to have to give up money. And they're not going to be afraid to talk about it. But the interesting thing is we willingly subject ourselves and our children and our bank accounts to sports games and, and Little League and travel sports. Oh my gosh, let's not talk about travel sports. That's a fortune. My son was in travel sports for two weeks. And then I was like, I am not committed. Games, concerts, it all talks about money. I remember going to the ballpark in Chicago. A group of us guys from Relevant went to the ballpark in Chicago. And at every moment when you got into the parking lot, there were people selling stuff. Then you got inside the hallways, people are selling stuff. And then when I, after I pay for the game already, then I'm sitting in the stands and y'all still selling me stuff. I'm already here. Can I get some free popcorn? I've already invested so much. I, I drove, I put gas in my car to come all the way to Chicago. I don't even care for this team. And now you're trying to sell me some peanuts. I don't want no peanuts. As much as I paid for this game, give me some calamari something concerts I went to a concert we went to an amazing concert a couple of weeks ago go to the concert you pay for the concert first of all in order to get in earlier you pay extra in order to meet the artist you pay extra then when you finally get in you're like hey is there a water anywhere they're like yes at the stand you can pay for the water and then they're like hey by the way we've got all this merch pay extra I ain't giving away no free T-shirts. Even with the VIP package, you don't get a free T-shirt. You still have to pay. And then while you're in the concert, they start telling you about all the awesome things they're going to do, which cause you to pay more money. See, money is talked about everywhere. Movies. You go to the movies, y'all. I love the movies right here. Wonderland, $5. $5. I told you guys I was in California, $18.75 for one ticket. I'm like, the devil is a lie. That's why I live in the Midwest. Praise God, somebody. <laughs> I will deal with the snow than deal with the $18 movie tickets. You go to the movie theater, it's awesome. I pay for my movie ticket. And my kids, my kids, daddy, 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 daddy. Can I get popcorn? Okay, get popcorn. Daddy, 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 can I get the, uh, what's the stuff that swirls and it's fluffy and you eat it? Cotton candy. You gotta pay for that. And then once you're in there, they're eating so much salty popcorn and they're like, daddy, daddy, I'm so, th I'm so thirsty. Can I get some water, please? Can I get, no, I don't want water, dad. Can I get? Sprite. No, Dad, I don't want Sprite. I want a slushie. And every time you go up to the checkout counter, it's like, more money, more money, more money. Here's the deal. The world is, afraid, is not afraid to talk about money, but why is the church so afraid to talk about money? 
When God says, I own a cattle on a thousand hills, he says, I am the richest one that's ever been. I created the heavens and the earth. He says he holds the earth in his palms. We're sitting there talking about Elon Musk trying to go to Mars and all this. Stuff. God says, listen, I created Mars. What are you talking about? You know? But the church, money is off limits. Can I make a bold statement that's going to make a lot of people mad? I have never heard a wealthy person. I've been in church for quite some time. I've never heard a wealthy person who was a part of that local church. I have never heard not one wealthy person complain that the church talks too much about money. I said yes to Jesus in 2005 and plugged into the local church. My parents used to take me to church back in the day. As long as I've been a part of the church, I've never heard people in the highest income brackets talking about the church talks about money too much. I've never heard a wealthy person complain, well, here goes the pastor talking about money again. The only people who I hear complain are those who don't understand the value of money and wealth. Y'all thought I was going to say broke people. <laughs> Y'all judgy, see? Yeah, they complain about money in church too. But the only people who I hear complain about money in church are people who don't understand the, the value of money and wealth. And so we said this last week. Um, many people use humility, false humility, and religion to mask their misunderstanding of money and wealth. But can I tell you guys something? Your understanding of money and wealth, and I'm talking about kingdom principles. I'm not just talking about, let's go buy a Bentley tomorrow. I'm talking about your understanding. <laughs> Denver, you down for a Bentley? We're going to get that Bentley? Come on. Me and Denver getting a Bentley, y'all. Nah. Your understanding of money and wealth can directly impact your ability to experience the blessed life. See, this is what I want to do in this series. I want to teach you guys about the value of resources and kingdom principles. I'm not just here to, to beat you up about money. I really want us to teach. I told the church from the beginning of the year that God said, like, I, I need you to teach teach. Don't just go up there and preach and have a happy Holy Ghost time. I need you to teach and help people understand a little deeper and go a little deeper and take a little longer. And that's why my sermons have been a little bit longer because I don't want to rush through this. I can come here and give you a really nice message that have you go home and be impacted really well, but leave you untransformed. And I don't want to just preach motivation. I want to preach transformation. So I want to transform us. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I want us to renew our understanding of wealth and money. So many of us are afraid of losing money, and it could be because of trauma, because of experiences that we've had in life that we focus solely on getting and keeping money. Anybody who, who grew up not having a whole lot has this distorted view of money. They're like, I've got to keep money. I've got to hold on to money. I've got to hold on to it. I've got to hold it tight. I can't spend it. I've got to keep it. I can't share it. I've got to keep it tight. And we spend all of our lives working for money and never really experiencing the blessed life. And then on the flip side, we've got people who are so used to having money in abundance around them. Maybe they grew up wealthy or they just had a knack for always making money and always having money around that they have a devalued view of money that they recklessly spend it, that any wind of change, they don't have any money anymore. And they got to go get more. And as soon as they get it, it's gone as fast as it came. But what's common in both of these scenarios is we forget to attach our money and our idea of wealth to God, the giver of all good gifts. The one who transports, the vehicle that transports wealth and resources into our lives. And if you're a Christian, you know that every good gift comes from the Father of lights. Talking about God himself. 
that even the job that we have, uh, the, mon- the, the, the family that we grew up in has all been uh, instituted and, and orchestrated by the Lord for a specific reason in our lives. And so many of us live lives of fear and lack, but never truly live in the abundant blessing that God has commanded over our lives. We can read the text from Malachi. We can read the text from Jude and and say that's really good. But I don't know if I've ever truly experienced that. And God has given us his word that we apply over our lives. So last week, the teaching was about three people. There's three types of people sitting in this room. There's three types of people out there driving by. There's three types of people in society. Three types of people. Everybody say three types of people. So the first one is those who don't understand the value of money and misuse it. And we took the story of the son who asked for the money ahead of time. He, he was supposed to receive this as an inheritance after his father had passed on. But he devalued money. He saw that money was accessible. So he says, give me the money now. I don't want to wait till you die. I want the money now so I can go live my life, so I can go do my thing. He saw money as a status symbol because we see what he immediately goes to do. He goes and he squanders it in reckless living. His brother has probably had his ear to the streets because he tells us that he goes and spends money on prostitutes. So his brother is probably out there just gaining friends with money and gaining clout with money. So he wants to have the best car and he wants to have the best clothes and he wants to have the best shoes and he wants to have the best house so that everyone can look at him with awe and wonder and say, ooh, he's got it and how people in this life who those who don't understand money and misuse it uh, oftentimes want to flex their money they want everybody to see what they have so that they can show off and be showy to people but we realize very quickly quickly that when the money ran out so did the friends so did the clout His relationship with money was like anything else in life. It was a tool to serve him. And so that was a really good teaching. I would encourage y'all to go back. If you weren't here last week, go listen to that message because we broke it down a little further. And then there's a second group in life, those who don't understand the value of money and fear it. We took this from the older brother. The older brother, in verse 31, I love this text, says, we're going to unpack this a little later in the series. But this is what his father says to him. He's mad because his dad throws a party because the son comes home. He's mad because the dad spent resources for somebody who wasted resources. Hello, somebody. He was bitter because all the time he had spent in his dad's house, his dad had never given him a little goat. A little billy goat. Mad type goat. He was mad. Dad, you didn't even give me a goat so that I can party with my friends. And this is what his father says to him. He says, and he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. When I teach on that text, y'all going to be freed. And whom the son sets free is free indeed. The father said, you have been with me this whole time and all that I have is yours. What are you talking about? You've had access to it. But here's the deal. The oldest son had access, but no confidence. See, those who have, who don't understand the value of money and fear it. He was waiting for some approval. See, these are the individuals in life where everything is unattainable. I can't, I wish, I hope, and you live in this I can't, I wish, I hope mindset that you absolutely repel everything that can be coming to you because in your mind you have convinced yourself it's not for me, it's unattainable, I can't do like everybody else does. But then you get mad at everybody else who has. Go listen to last week's message. It was so much better than that, boy, I'll tell you. And again... Those individuals are the ones who use humility. Well, you know what? I just, you know, Jesus didn't have a house, so I just got to live humbly. And here, I heard, man, listen, you guys, we got this podcast called Pastors Unfiltered. And it was, we talked about money and wealth and about how people 
get mad at pastors for having resources and all of that thing. And, and uh, a pastor uh, who was on there said something that was amazing. I loved it because I was like, he hit it spot on. He says, you can survey 20 people in church and most of them will agree on one thing, that the pastor should make less money than they do. See, many of us use humility and religion to expose our misunderstanding of money. Well, the pastor shouldn't have because isn't he a servant of God? Well, the pastor shouldn't be talking about money. The pastor shouldn't be driving that car. The pastor shouldn't have that house. The pastor shouldn't be building that property because, you know, he's, he's a servant of the Lord. Jesus wasn't wealthy. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God. He is the richest person that ever lived on this earth. Can I tell you all that real quick? You know when Jesus says the son of man doesn't have a house to live in? He says, listen, because I ain't worried about these little puny cribs y'all got here on earth. I've got mansions in heaven. I've got the heavens to declare my glory. I live in heaven. So I'm not worried about these little houses y'all got here. And we take that look. Jesus was so humble. <clears throat> Jesus made money come out of a fish mouth. He said, let me flex on y'all like this. So two people, those who don't understand the value of money and misuse it, and those who don't understand the value of money and fear it. See, one used money as a tool. Another one repels it because of their belief that it's outside of their reach. But here's the deal. Both lose out. Both lose out because of their misunderstanding of money and wealth. So y'all ready for the third person? Three types of people. Number one, those who don't understand the value of money and misuse it. Number two, those who don't understand the value of money and fear it. Number three, those who understand the value of money and multiply it. So let's break this down. Verse 12. Y'all with me? Y'all good? We learning. So the younger said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property. This is verse 12. And the younger of them said to the father, give me the share of money, of property that is coming to me. And guess what his daddy does? It says he divided his property between them. His dad totally gives up the money. The dad gives him the inheritance. Man, I feel like I got to stand because I feel like I'm going to preach this one. The father is a wealthy, wealthy man. The father is incredibly rich because at the sound of his son's voice, his snot-nosed little brat, little spoiled little runt, Comes to his dad and tells him, dad, dead or alive, I don't want to be with you anymore, but you owe me money. Because I know that in our culture, you're supposed to split the money between me, my brother, and whoever else is part of your lineage. So I want my share today. And his father gives it up. And his father does it immediately. To be able to give his sons an inheritance to be able to give his son an inheritance means that he had property, possessions, and profits in which he could share. This ain't a broke dude. He's got enough resources to share immediately. Imagine the ability to liquidate all of your assets and split one-third away and don't even have to blink an eye. Because essentially that's what he did. He needed to keep enough for his brother and he needed to keep him enough for himself so that he can continue to, to, to have this property and continue to do what he did and continue to live. Imagine being able right now to split your net worth and not blink an eye to it. 
Say, I can give up one-third of my income. I can give up one-third of my assets. I can give up one-third, and I will never have to worry about it because I'm good. Let me ask you something. As I was writing this text, I really believe that this, this, this really hit me, and I want to share it with you. If there was a need in your household, family, do you have the capacity to meet that need without blinking an eye? That's a sobering statement. Remember, the Bible is supposed to teach us. Remember in Acts 2, 42, that we love to talk about, about the early church? And we celebrate how the early church came together. You realize what they were doing? They were giving up part of their assets so that everybody who had need in the local church, so that there was no one in the church, no one in the family of Christ who had need after that. They were willingly to give a part of their resources, part of their net worth, so that everybody could have. And I was sitting there and I'm like, imagine the ability to be able to meet the needs of just my own household. I'm not talking about y'all. I'm talking about if my son Isaiah has a major need, Elijah has a major need. Do I have the capacity to be able to meet that need and not be penny pinching moving forward? And then God gave me these two verses, which was really, really convicting. And I want all of us to, 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 to lean in on these verses and hear what the word of the Lord is saying to us. Because remember, I'm teaching. This series is about teaching and it's about equipping you. 1 Timothy 5.8, this is the Bible. 1 Timothy 5.8 says this. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives... It didn't just say his kids. It didn't just say his spouse. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, especially if, if, if anyone does not provide for his extended family, and especially those for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. That's a strong text. This is Paul, uh, who was an apostle of the Lord, giving to Timothy about what he needs to teach the people of the church. He says, listen, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And then in Proverbs 13, written by the wisest man that has ever lived, many say it was Solomon who's wrote most of the Proverbs. It says this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Not just his children, but his children's children, meaning legacy. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. The sinner's wealth, talking about people who don't understand the value of money and misuse it, Soon, it'll just go away and God will transfer it to the good man and the righteous who are living righteously. Verse 20 says this. I'm going to keep going. Some of, you, some of y'all getting real uncomfortable right now. This is the Bible. This is, this is the word of God. Um, and when I'm not using it to beat you over the head. I'm actually using this to teach you because this is something that's been teaching me. It's been convicting me. I'm like, how, how am I viewing Wealth. How am I viewing money? How am I viewing resources? Which one am I? Verse 20 says this. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him. And he kissed him. And listen, uh, I don't want to stay too long on this one. And the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against you, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, notice the father never responds to the son. Have you caught that in this text? The son is mustering. I'm going to preach that in two weeks. Let me leave that one alone. 
But the father says to his servants, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead, is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. See, the, the father runs and embraces this lost son, the son that's coming to him. He doesn't just embrace him physically. He doesn't just embrace him emotionally. The father embraces him financially. How do we know that? Excuse me. It says, bring the best robe. Now, in this culture, the best robe was always reserved for the honored guests. Because as you know, when people traveled, they traveled on foot. So their feet were dirty, dust was kicking up all over their clothes. So if you came, if Lori and Michael came to our house and we wanted to honor them, I would go tell Isaiah, go get my best robe. Go get, go get the Gucci, go get the Fendi, go get the, you know what I'm saying, whatever it is for the women, Donna Karen, I don't know what y'all wear nowadays, but go get that one, that really expensive one. Get somebody to wash Michael's feet because his feet are dirty. His, his clothes have kicked up dust and allow him to change into this robe. So you didn't wear the robe yourself. You bought a special robe for only guests who came over to the house, honored guests who came to the house. And so he takes the robe that is only reserved for the honored guests, the most expensive robe, and puts it on his dirty, messed up, drug addicted, uh, uh, sin inflicted son. He takes the best robe. Most people want to wear the best robe. I ain't going to lie. I'll be rocking the best robe. Mike, you come over the house, I might wear the best robe and show you I got a best robe. And then he says, go get the ring and put the ring on the finger. Rings were super important in this culture because ring declared that you belong to a family. And the ring given to a son was a ring that had an emblem on it that says, now you have been given power of attorney over this household. In the event that father is traveling, in the event that father is incapacitated, whatever that word, incapacitated, thank you. In the event that he can't uh, make decisions, financial decisions for the family, wear this ring because this ring will give you uh, uh, approval of financial transactions in behalf of the father. The father not only embraces the son physically, emotionally, but he embraces him financially. I'll restore to you what the locust took away. The blessed life. I'm going to bring you and be a part of this family all over again. Welcome home, son. He says the fatted calf. He said, go kill the fatted calf. This was reserved for lavish occasions. See, they would grow a fatted calf because every once in a while there would be a prophet walking through town or maybe uh, once in a while there would be a dignitary or one of the uh, high officials in the church would stop by and they would kill the fatted calf for that special occasion. But the fatted calf most of the times was reserved for like weddings and other celebrations where it was a long and a huge party. The fatted calf means we're about to eat for days. Hello, somebody. I would have been there because I like to eat. And Dave Leffler likes to cook, except for those weird worms that you cooked last time. <laughs> that right there made me glad I was not in your regroup. I was like, they eating worms at regroup, babe. The church is going, going to the birds. I love to eat. And the reason they kept the fatted calf, because the party that they were going to throw is we're going to eat for days. Are you guys following me here? So he's already given one-third of his income to this son. He's already given one-third of his net worth to this son. Now he's using his three sources to throw an epic party for his son. Let me just say, I get why the older son was mad. He's given away one-third of his income, and he throws his epic party. And what we know about Middle Eastern and Far Eastern celebrations, they are epic. You guys following me? Yeah. They're epic. See, these events mo lasted days, weeks. Most wedding celebrations would last seven to eight days. We know that in Jewish tradition, uh, the Passover lasted up to eight days. So they were used to partying for a long time. This was a celebration that kept going. I, I wonder if you guys have ever seen this woman before. I got a picture of this woman. 
You guys know who that is? Her name is Aisha Ambani. She's the daughter of this guy, Mukesh Ambani. This is the sixth richest man in the world. Mukesh Ambani is an Indian billionaire, like multi-billionaire. His house alone is $1 billion estimate. It's 27 stories, 168 car garage. This is just his house, not a hotel that he lives in. So when Aisha married her husband, Mukesh spent $100 million on the wedding. One, can y'all just, listen, y'all heard what I just said? One hundred, and you know how I discovered this? It's because when I was coming to this text and I was teaching through this and I wanted to give you guys an example of what a lot of these Eastern culture celebrations were at so I can give you an idea of what the father could have possibly done for his son, I thought about uh, the, the guy who owns Metal Steel in Gary, Indiana. So if you know anything about the steel plants in this area, there's another Indian billionaire who owns Metal Steel. And when his daughter got married, they spent $6 million on the wedding. And so I was trying to find that out. And I was like, oh, I forgot her name, Richest Wedding. And then I came across this. I was like, oh, $6 million was chump change. This man spent $100 million on his daughter's wedding. Now get this, this man is a man who's just celebrating a daughter who's getting married. Scripture tells us that all heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. There's a celebration that happens when one person says yes to Jesus. So if Jesus is telling the story and he's helping you understand what type of celebration that the father had, imagine a father who thinks he has lost his son, who thinks everything that I work towards is gone. My legacy is over. My son is dead. He is killed. I've never heard from him. I've never seen from him. And then he sees his son from a long way off coming, and he sees that his son that was dead is now alive. You think $100 million can pay for that? No, it is priceless. I will spend whatever I need to. How do we know? Because Jesus Christ was spent on the behalf of you and I because God saw his lost children. He saw his wayward children, and he says, I will give a priceless gift that no one can ever match. I will send my son to die for the redemption of my children. So can I tell you something? Baptisms need to be a little bit more elaborate. <laughs> Joking. It's a joke. No, seriously, we should be partying on baptisms. The father's relationship to money is very different than the son's relationship to money. I'm going to call the band to go ahead and come up. The father's relationship to money is very different than both sons. In this story, let me ask you something. Who would you say was living a blessed life? Who would you say was living a blessed life in this story? The father. See, the father wasn't afraid to give away his money and his resources because he knew how to create more wealth. The father had already multiplied all these resources. The father already had made all this income. He knew and understood the value of money and how to multiply it, so he didn't mind giving his money away. The father wasn't concerned how it was used. Remember, the brother was like, but he spent it on prostitute. His father was not concerned about how his money was used after it left his hands. Why? Because he was confident in his own stewardship. He wasn't worried about them and what they're doing with the money. He knew what he was doing with his money. He knew how he was stewarding the resources. He knew how to multiply what he had. So I'm not going to be worried about what the next man is using his money for. 
I'm not even worried about when I give my money what it is, ends up being used for. Because I know how I use my money. I'm confident with my stewardship and how to multiply it. The father was a wise steward because not only was he blessed with an abundance, but his resources were used to bless others. How do we know? He had servants in the house. And the servants willingly did everything that the father asked them to do because they knew that he was a good steward, that he was a good master, that he shared his resources abundantly. The way they saw him share resources with the son, the way they saw his father love on his son when he came back, the way they saw him use his resources to multiply the property. They trusted the father. And how many of you guys know that we've got legions of angels who get to see how the good, good father in heaven has utilized his resources, how he's multiplied on his resources, how he constantly generously gives to his children, how he generously loves on and takes care of them. And they say, we will do the will of the father. Send us where we will go. This is a kingdom principle. What we're reading in this scripture is not just a story about a wealthy father with some sons. This story is about the king of kings and the lord of lords and how he views wealth and money. And this is what I want to share with you guys as we close out today. My view matters. Everybody say this together. My view matters. My view matters. How you view money is directly tied to whether you're set up to be blessed and be a blessing or set up for hardship and burdens. How you view money is directly tied to blessings or burdens, just to simplify that. Because your view matters. See, this series is about getting a clear view. I want to live the blessed life. I want you to live the blessed life. I want all of us to experience the blessed life. Where we can not only live in abundance of the blessing that God has called upon us, but that we can also become conduits of the blessings that God has given us, not to sit with us, but to go through us and extend to reach the people who he's asking us to live and support, and love through the abundance of his grace. See, we are being invited to embody the heart of the Father, to be a blessing to his hurting sons, his hurting daughters, those who are coming home and those who are in the home like the older brother. My view matters. Your view matters. How we view money and wealth and resources and all of this will dictate whether we are able to live in blessing or in burden. As I close out last week, I'm going to close out with the same text, 1 John 3, verse 1. Look with wonder. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. These are words of wealth. These are words of resources. These are words of abundance. These are words of blood. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. The son came back home, says, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Uh, just allow me to be a servant. And the father says, no, I love you so much. I, I care about you so much that not only am I forgetting what you took from me before, but I am restoring everything that you've lost. I'm lavishing on you the resources of the kingdom of my property so that you and I can be called 
sons and daughters of God. See, y'all still thinking about money. That's why half of y'all ain't clapping. Y'all still think this is about money. It is. It's about our heart and our view and our understanding of a kingdom principle that God is going to teach us through these next few weeks that will literally transform and flip our worlds upside down if we understand it and receive it. See, we've been given a holy inheritance. We have inherited the kingdom of God. We have been called sons and daughters of God. Who else was called a son of God? Jesus Christ. We are now siblings. We are now co-heirs, as Paul says, with Jesus. We now have claim to the fortune of the kingdom of heaven. We are close to the Father. We are seated at the right hand in glory because of the lavish Love that God has poured onto us doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor. doesn't matter whether you come from wealth or poverty, lived a life of sin, or had a life filled with formality. God has expended the resources of heaven to receive you home. Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church Podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at giving.thisisrelevant.cc. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more messages like this one.